our scripture for this morning. If you would all stand for the reading of scripture. All right. So this morning it's out of 1 Kings 18, 21. And it says, Elijah went before the people and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. This is the word of the Lord. The, the air that morning was, was still and dry as the people gathered one last time, what they thought was one last time, to see the prophet of Yahweh. He was the last prophet. A murmur of both anger and terror buzzed through the crowd that was there. Is that really him, they asked? What has he come to curse us with now? He's smaller than I thought he'd be. I hear he can raise the dead. Occasionally, through the crowd, someone would say what many were thinking as they had not had, not had water for many, many months. Someone should kill this man and be done with it. Through that noise, a little boy weaved his way under and around, trying to get a glimpse of the prophet. The boy wasn't old enough to remember clearly what it was like before the prophet had cursed the air and held back the rain, so there was no hatred in him, just fear and curiosity. As he climbed atop a rock, he could hear him calling out, the prophet's voice like gravel, how long will you waver, Israel? How long? The councils of heaven, they weary of your wavering, your back and forth, your weak like dust in the wind. If Yahweh is God, then worship Yahweh. But if Baal is God, then go ahead and worship Baal. The crowd then fell silent. The boy could now see over the people to the clearing where the messengers of Baal huddled together, dressed in crimson, while some removed the bandages from their arms to reveal the scars of their worship. And just across from them stood one man, unassuming, lax in his stance. His voice was loud and strong. But with his youthful eyes, the boy could see the prophet's body betrayed him. There was a sadness in his eyes, a weariness in his shoulders. His hands were shaking. Let's settle this now, he declared. I've no flint. I've no stone for fire. Only these bulls and the altar. Let's make a sacrifice here and now. Call to your gods and see this day which answers. The one who answers by fire, Yahweh or Baal, he is the one true God. He turned to face the people and said, do you accept? There is more murmuring. And then a prophet of Baal spoke for the people. We accept your challenge, Elijah, O troubler of Israel. Even from far away, the boy could see the prophet roll his eyes. Right, I've brought this drought, not Ahab, not you self-mutilators, abandoning the Lord's command. It's my fault. Elijah turned from the altar and into the crowd, shouting, let's begin. Atop the rock, the boy covered his eyes, not wanting to see what he knew was coming next. As the horn sounded, he felt a hand uncover his face, and there was Elijah standing over him. Where's your mother? The boy shrugged and faced the ground, trying to steer his eyes from the clearing. Look up, Ben. You should see what we become when we worship other gods. 
Elijah turned the boy's face towards the ritual. This is us without Yahweh. The prophets of Baal began their singing, dancing in formation, and as the boy had seen once before, they drew knives and began cutting away at their own flesh. This is us without Yahweh. Welcome to church. Happy Sunday. Sorry about that. Listen, hey, my name is Shua. I'm, I'm, I'm husband to Alexa, uh, father to Moses, uh, worship pastor here at Neighbors Church, and an artist as well. So I'm sorry and also not sorry for opening with a story on pagan ritual sacrifice. Um, the artist in me has to fight the impulse to like make you all uncomfortable to prove a point. It's kind of what we do. Um, we're working on it, therapy. If it's any consolation, the story that I just read in, in sort of novel form, it, it is in the Bible. So I didn't just like make that up and say, hey, want to hear a weird story that I made up? It's in the Bible. And my goal is not to make you uncomfortable only. I think that Jesus was just as fascinated with this story of blood and fire as I am. If you go and read in 1 Kings, you start in chapter 17, you make your way through the life of Elijah, you'll find a lot of strange things, but things that are pointing to, I, I hope and I, I believe, to the, the vision and the way of Jesus in the long run. So my goal is not to make you uncomfortable, it's to get you acquainted with the things that Jesus was fascinated with, the things that Jesus was acquainted with. And prayerfully, this morning, through the Spirit, in these next couple of minutes, your spirit might be lifted above the noise of this day against the, the, the myriad of options that are thrown your way, against the wavering, and you'll be able to see clearly the pathway of Jesus. Jesus, let's pray together. Holy Spirit, come. Speak to us. I won't ask you to like speak in spite of me. I'll ask you, I'll ask you to speak in me and through me this morning. I, I know that you love me and that you see me. You see all my quirks and my personality. And today I believe that you want to use me. So would you speak to these people today? Would you speak into our quirks, into our personalities, into our preferences, and push us towards your way? Let us stand firm as devoted followers of Jesus, not tossed by the wind. This phrase in the text, and if we could get it back up on the screen there, 1 Kings 18, 21, Elijah went before the people and he said, how long will you waver? Between two opinions. If the Lord is God, then follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people, they said nothing. And I want you to key on this phrase. Maybe like put to side for a second, like prophets of Baal and uh, bulls and altars and all those things. And just key in on this one phrase. How long? Uh, maybe say it with me. How long? Go ahead and say how long. I was going to do a turn to your neighbor thing. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to be one of those teachers this morning, but go ahead and say how long. Very good. Very good. How long? I want you to key on this phrase because I think that sort of uh, 
tiring that Elijah has of the wavering of the people of Israel is a summation of the cultural moment we also find ourselves in. The back and forth, the wavering of our own hearts, the instability of a people pulled in a thousand different directions by a thousand different influences. In this world of modern, ever-expanding, and often very ambiguous spiritual expression, what does it mean to be a devoted follower of Jesus? Why does it feel like such a mountain to climb? And why wasn't it easy for the Israelites, who'd seen God move time and again? Like, think of the story of the people that Elijah is speaking to in this moment, right? Like, they're there and they're worshiping another God, the people that saw uh, God split the sea, the people that saw God fell giants, who's shaken the earth and made the sky go black and light again, like it's who, who spoke into existence everything. This is their story, and they become unacquainted with it, and they look at other people, and they say, I envy that. Let's go for that. Let's do that instead. That God is kind of doing some cool things for that nation over there. Let's try that out. It's like the sentiment of, of, of the Psalms in Psalm 73. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. That's like the psalmist echoing sort of maybe the sentiment of his people at the time. I, I look over there and these people that are not following Yahweh, their lives seem pretty cool. Seems pretty okay, you know? They, they've got Netflix too over there. And so like <laughs> all these things that make us comfortable. So why don't we try that for a bit? We have option overload, the same way that they did. You see what other people have. You hear what they say you should do, right? Social media, you all got it, maybe. Hopefully some of you don't. Hopefully some of you are like, no, I'm headed into like the, the, the a fasting from social media and your soul will be at rest and you'll feel, mm, you'll feel like the light, the weight off your shoulders when you don't have to worry about all the, the different opinions that are thrown at you. But for most of us, including myself, you have a sort of option overload, a thousand voices coming at you a thousand miles a minute. There's so much conflicting information today on, on what it means to just like make your way through this life. The world's answer to this sort of back and forth, the wavering that we feel, the option overload is, well, oh, just like be yourself. You just do you. Get out there. Make something of yourself. But that falls apart pretty quickly because there's so much conflicting information on what it means to be yourself. Culture's answer to our anxieties because it's been defined by so many. This movement of individualism was birthed as a pushback against the abuse of power by political and religious institutions, right? Like, we have to be honest about that. You look at the past, you see history, and you see uh, governments and religions kind of abusing the power that, uh, over time or, or misusing the power that they've been given to push influences on people, and, and specifically our, our sort of uh, orthodox Christianity that when it's usurped by political power is found wanting like oh this is not the way of jesus you look back and you see crusades you look back and you see the oppression of people you look back and you see racial divisions uh, sunday being the most segregated time uh, in our country like 
Is that the way of Jesus? Is that it? No, I, I'd, I'd submit that it's an abuse of power. It's, it's not the way things are meant to be. And so these people saw this and they're like, that's not right. There has to be something better than this. There has to be something better than conforming to these rules that these uh, politics and, and religion set before us. And so then you have voices like Karl Marx and Friedrich Nietzsche and like all these uh, people that are saying, just be yourself. There's no moral. There, there are no rules. Come on, that's just aesthetic. Whatever floats your boat. Honestly, all these rules and all these things, uh, Karl Marx would say, I'm going to do a terrible job at summarizing Karl Marx right now for you. Somebody smarter might, you know, can come up here and help me out. But Karl Marx would say, oh, this is just all economics. Whatever the economics of the day is, that's where all the moral rules are going to fall. And so there's no really basis on which we stand. There's no higher power passing down things that actually cause us to flourish as humans. It's whatever floats your boat. And then Nietzsche would say something very similar. It's aesthetic. It's just aesthetic choice. What, like, whatever makes you feel good in a moment is what you should do. God is dead, he says in his story of the madman. Moral is dead. A harbinger of this cultural moment in a critique of the people who would bow down to institutions and to rules of their days, he would say, he said this, he said, most people are just, they're just other people. Their thoughts are someone else's opinions, their lives a mimicry, their passions a quotation of someone else. Funny enough, Oscar Wilde, who said that, was saying this, reflecting on what he perceived to be the supreme individualist, Jesus Christ. <laughs> it's just really funny because he's just like not religious, not orthodox in any way. He called Jesus Christ the supreme individualist. Obviously, he hadn't read the Bible and Jesus saying, I do whatever the Father is doing. I submit my whole life in obedience to the Father. And he obviously didn't know how like Jewish Jesus was obsessed with his own, with that culture and the time he lived in. He was a rabbi. He wasn't like out there just kind of, I don't know, dyeing his hair blue or whatever. Stop, Shua. Um, listen, if you look around you, if you take a moment and stop and you think about the sort of message of individualism, of be yourself, of, of making a way for yourself through this terrain we find ourselves in, the experiment that Carl and uh, Fred and Oscar laid out for us as these cultural influences has failed. The experiment, it, it's, the experiment is over. If you go ahead and look at the news for a moment, it doesn't matter which channel you turn to. Honestly, to me, I'm like, it's all the same. The experiment is, has failed of individualism, of be yourself, because people are still torn apart. Like, you can have your artisan coffee and pierce your ears and get tattoos and have... I'm just talking about myself here. I am completely talking about myself, Enneagram 4. Like, this speaks to me so much. I'm like... No, it can't be dead. I'm the ultimate individual. There's no one like me. And then I walk down the street and like 15 people are wearing Doc Martens and they all have tattoos, no matter if you're cool or not. Like it's just, it's over. It's over. You can't be special anymore. And I really want to be a special boy. Well, if I could just be, 
special, then I'll receive love. And that's honestly what many of us are looking for. Love, appreciation, recognition, see me. And for many of us, we thought that the answer to that, and some of us still do, even within our own Orthodox Christianity, or more likely like American evangelical Christianity, this message has worked its way in and said, just go and be yourself, but like come to church on Sundays, you know? If you go out there and be the individual that God is calling you to be, whatever that looks like, and then come to church on Sundays, you'll be okay. And then you still find your soul torn into pieces. Things pulling at you from left and right, not knowing what direction you should go in. The experiment has proved itself false. I would, I would submit against against uh, Nietzsche that the individual is, is dead. He says God is dead, and I'd say, okay, well, this new God that you've put out here on the table, humanity, the individual is also, is also dead. It doesn't work. And you know, as we're pulled in a billion different directions, as all these... Uh, individualized institutions, uh, they've all adopted this sort of rhetoric. Everything you see all day is uh, adopting this rhetoric of individualism, of be yourself, of make a way for yourself, and they've become institutions of their own. And so someone like Oscar Wilde being like, oh, you're just a mimicry, and so what you need to do is define your own sexuality, define your own gender, define your own career, define your own religion, define who God is for yourself, don't listen to anyone else, it's just become another institution. It's just become another ideological overarching social rule that we all must follow. And if you don't follow it, you're out. And I'm not talking about conservatism or, or progressivism, both of those things which I consider to be liberal. I'm just talking about like all of it. If you don't follow this rule, you're out because it's a new institution. And the effects that these new sort of ambiguous ideological institutions have on us are, are like strong. They're strong. The tools that we utilize to pull others into our worlds are much more effective than we actually realize. How many times are you going to touch your phone today? It's probably about 2,516 times statistically. And that's a tool to get you pulled into a world, a culture, that will then define who you are for you. These things have served to make more ideological social norms and institution that guide us into worship. Okay, here's a couple of examples that are like more lighthearted. I'm gonna, I'm gonna like take a deep, everyone take, take a deep breath right now. Mm. You're like, I know all this stuff already. I live here in uh, North Park or Normal Heights or whatever. Great, we're gonna just, we're gonna get to the, the resolution soon. Here's a couple of funny examples of how strong the pull and the influence of, of these institutions have on you. I, I'm actually convinced that you could be convinced to do or be just about anything with enough time and attention, right? So 
how many of you guys right now in this room are wearing like what you would consider to be like skinny jeans or have worn skinny jeans? Show of hands. Show of hands. Oh, yeah, right? Skinny jeans. They were so cool in 2011. And, 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 and it was this cultural moment, right, where everyone was like, oh, I got to get a pair of skinny jeans. If I have baggy pants and I look kind of, you know, I'm out, I look kind of weird, you know, what, 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 I need to like let my legs breathe? Heck no. And we all gave in to this, this, this idea, right, because there were these cultural uh, what would you call them? Cultural, like, influencers. Oh, yeah, influencers. We have a word for that. Influencers that were telling you this is the right thing to do. But do you know what was happening, like, six years before then? Like, 15 kids were getting bullied. I'm sorry, 15,000 kids around the country were probably getting bullied for wearing their sister's pants because some rock band did it, and then they were like, I'm going to wear these skinny jeans. And then they'd go to school, they'd get beat up. They're like, look, you don't have baggy pants. And they'd just get, like, jumped. And then 10 years later, everyone was like, dude, what are you wearing, baggy pants? Lame. It, it, we switch so quickly. Skinny jeans, right? Okay, skinny jeans, or, you know, now we have, we all kind of like loosened up. Gen Z, if you're in here, you're like, I need these, these legs wide. I need these pants as wide as possible. And it's not, it's not wide. It's like, it's wide down here, but it's like nice and fitted up here. It's nice and fitted up here, wide down here. That's what's cool now. And in a little while, I'm sure we're going to be going back to like, I don't know, like bell bottoms or something. Our opinions, they, they waver, they change. And these things have influence on us. And I'm, you know, you're like, why is this guy talking about this stuff? Isn't he supposed to be the worship pastor? Is he supposed to tell us how to worship? Okay, let's get into some song stuff here. Some fun song stuff, right? Like the influence that music has over your life, the thing that it can do to your emotions. And I think over a long period of time could maybe even change the sort of person you are. I think songs are probably the most, one of the most powerful influencers on our life. This is why we have music going at all times of day. I have a friend that says, like, I don't really listen to music. It's Matt Escobar. And, um, and I'm going to challenge him in front of you all. He says, I don't really listen to music. I don't, I don't. You do. Everybody listens to music. But, but we listen to it in different ways. Some people listen to music just because, like, they want to listen to music. They want to enjoy the sound of it. But honestly, all of us at any moment have a soundtrack to just about everything that we're doing. It's not just, and it's a marketing tool, and it's a way that, like, People know that music and sound and art affects our psyche. You go into the grocery store, and what, what's happening? There's music going. You want to, Matt specifically listens to it when he's getting big, when he's lifting, when he's just like curling. I, I don't know. If the, I don't think you're curling all the time. You're like running. Uh, let's just imagine that Matt's just curling and listening to, yeah, Michael Buble. <laughs> There's a huge influence that these sounds have in our lives, and every moment is underscored by some sort of song. And I, I, would, I would go so far as to say that even beyond what we can hear, there is a song being sung over you now. This, this morning, Matthew, right, he kind of like bathed us in song. I was right there. I had to compose myself. I'm still composing myself, actually, um, because I was like on the floor here weeping because that, that song... The song, a, a song of the people of God affected me in such a way that it caused me to 
remind myself of who God was. And so this tension that you might feel is because I think that these ideologies and cultures are tugging at our souls and there's a song, an influential song being sung over you. But if you were to ask the Israelites, why is there so much tension within their soul? If, if someone was wise enough and attentive enough, I don't think they would just call them ideal ideologies and cultures. They would call them, I think, other gods. There's a differentiation here because you're like, oh yeah, I, I, if you spend any time in church, you're probably thinking to yourself, right, idols. And I'm saying, no, not idols, other gods. I'm going to move pretty quickly here and, and go through some information that might be a shift in ideas of the spiritual realm for you. How many of you guys just like woke up today thinking of the implications of a very real spiritual being in your life. Show of hands. No one. Oh, yes, absolutely. The Elijah's back there like every day. Every day we're tuned into the spirit. I actually believe them. Uh, so it, me and the Elijah's this morning woke up thinking about the implications of spiritual beings and, and spiritual powers in, in our lives. Most of our passive understanding of the spiritual realm and what's happening beyond what we can see, it, it doesn't really, a lot of it doesn't come from the Bible. And this is why I say it might be a shift for you, because a lot of Christian culture and the way we think about the spiritual realm, angels and demons, it does not come from the Bible. It comes from like medieval times. And I'm not talking about the restaurant where you look at people jousting across from Disneyland. I'm talking about like the actual age, the, the dark ages. It's, it's medieval assumption. Because at the time, there was this shift into Catholic culture, and it became a political power. And so they were like, anything we can do to get rid of pagan thought, anything we can do to get rid of the sort of idea that there are lots of gods out there, and there isn't just this one that you should give your tax to, we're going to get rid of. It, it's... It's very anti-pagan and slightly anti-Semitic because they didn't say, well, this is what the Jewish people thought, so we're going to hold fast to what Scripture said. We're going to come up with a whole new theology. Here's a guy in a red suit with a pitchfork. That's where that image comes from. When you think about someone like the Satan, who was a spiritual being, or you think of angels and demons, and you have pictures of them with wings or whatever, that's not in the Bible for the most part. The nuance, because of those sort of anti-Semitic, anti-pagan ideas, it's completely changed our ideas of what the spiritual world is like, and it's not what the Bible says. So let's read the Bible. You read the Bible, and there's a clear differentiation, differentiation between God's what would be considered an idol. Exodus 20, 1-4, big deal here. It's the Ten Commandments. It's how the Israelites were meant to kind of conduct themselves in the world. And there's a differentiation here. And God spoke all these words. He said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. And our initial assumption would probably be cool. They're not to have any other idols, but if you pay attention and keep on reading, you see there's a separate command for idols. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven, above, or on the earth, beneath, or in the waters below. You don't bow down to them and don't worship them. 
So the first command is not, hey, don't worship other gods because they're not real and they don't exist. It's, it's not there. And then there's a separate command for what's called an idol, an image in the form of anything in heaven or above on the earth below. And then there's all these other scriptures, like in the Psalms, who among the gods is like you, Yahweh? Psalm 86, 86 among the gods there is no one like you, Yahweh. Psalm 96, he is to be feared above all gods. Psalm 97, worship him. This is, this is kind of a doozy. This one's fun. Worship him, all you gods. For you, Lord, are the most high above the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. And I, I don't want to get, get too lost in the weeds here. Again, there are resources where you can go and read this. And also there's this huge resource called the Bible. Just go and read it for yourself and take a deep breath, throw your assumptions aside and, and, and look at what it's telling you. It's, this one is just really fun to me. Like, and, and it's not that there are gods and they're all on equal standing, right? That's not what the scripture is saying. It's saying if you were to look at a picture of all these, these figures that we cannot see, there is God, there is Yahweh. But the name he puts out there for himself is Yahweh. When, when Moses asks, hey, can I see you, God? Can I see you, Lord? He passes by him and says, Yahweh, Yahweh, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness. He's saying his name, and then he's revealing who he is within his name, which is specifically to differentiate himself from all these other gods and influences. But these gods, I think, these other beings, spiritual beings, they're called, the word is Elohim in the Bible, Elohim, and it's not just the word used for Yahweh, it's the word used for all spiritual beings. They all have their own songs, I think, that they sing over you. Sometimes I'll say it when I'm leading worship here, and I say, I believe this morning that Yahweh, that God, that Jesus is singing a song over you. It's beautiful, and it's true, and it's lovely, and it's compassionate. Then I also believe that there are other gods trying to pull you in with their own songs. They have tools necessary to pull you in, even if ever so subtly they want you to worship them. They do pull us into the realities of other gods. And these idols that we have in our lives Something like social media, for example. Something like CNN, for example. Something like Fox News, for example. Something like your school. Like, there, there's a billion little idols in your life that will pull you into worship of something that is not God. And it seems like they're not so jealous as Yahweh. Like, Yahweh says, I'm a jealous God. Don't worship the other gods. I want all your worship for myself. And he doesn't say that just because he's like arrogant and wants all your attention for no reason, he says, I've actually, the, I'm the one that crafted you. I'm the one that made you. I'm the one that set out from the beginning of time to love you and care for you. So when you take your attention and you turn it to these other entities, these, these other forces, let me tell you something. They don't care for you. Not like Yahweh. And then we wonder in not hearing these songs, why our thoughts are so scattered, why our time is so divided, why we feel like happiness is always on the other side of some circumstantial shift in your life. 
Like if I can just keep on shuffling the deck until I find the right thing, new interests, selfish visions, another state, another apartment, another job, another degree, and then I'll be whole. How long will we waver in opinion? How long? These lesser gods, they can't create like Yahweh. They can only manipulate these musical notes placed before them by a creator. Only Yahweh is a creator. They sing a song of discontentment over you, of depression, of generational delusion, and eventually uh, those things lead us to death. It always starts pretty pleasant. It always starts pretty nice. But then we find ourselves like the prophets of other gods, like the prophets of Baal, cutting away at ourselves. How long will we waver? Here's some good news. The song of Yahweh is the most beautiful, the most intentional, the most lovely, the most caring, the most compassionate. It's not the loudest all the time, but the most potent song that you can engage with in your life. Jesus offers to you, in the middle of all of this noise, a different song. It's quieter, but it's sweeter, and it's better. It's a song of new life for you that can begin today, a song of, of creation. It sounds a little bit like this. It sounds a little bit like Matthew 28, Matthew eleven twenty-eight. Come to me. Are you, are you weary? Are you burdened? I'll give you rest today. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. It's going to take a while. It's going to take some learning. It's going to take some training. It's going to take some practice. I'm gentle and humble in heart. How many of that, how many of those other gods, those other influences, those other cultural ideologies can say, I'm super humble. I'm gentle and humble in heart. And you will, you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden today is light. That's the song of Jesus. I spent the better past part of a decade singing songs in the direction of Jesus. And we're going to wrap up here. I was completely unaware of the songs within me. I sang songs on a stage and it was big and it was good and there was so many beautiful things happening there, but within me and the influences and the songs I was letting into my life, personally, Sunday and singing songs for people was not enough until I, one Sunday, literally had a panic attack in front of 2,000 people. Now, the stage is just like dark enough where I was, where I didn't have to like have it full on in front of everybody. I kind of just stepped back out of the spotlight as someone else sang a song and collapsed onto the floor and had a panic attack. Because I was so burdened by being pulled this way and that. I was so burdened by not having a direction by not saying, Jesus, I'm devoted to you and I want to know. At least I want to know. And then I, I kind of, uh, in that moment, after I had 
actually literally crawled my way from the back of the stage to the green room and sat down and felt like I wasn't dying and felt like I could breathe again. Made my way out the doors and went for a walk. And in, in that time, I heard a song of, of peace. I actually went to the, I walked all the way, I walked so far, I went all the way to Park Hill, which is our sister church. And it was before we had planted this church and I sat in the back of the room and I just sat down. And I heard for the first time in a long time the, a song of peace. No one was singing. It wasn't even, no one was even talking. I think when I went in, they were doing like passing of the peace. And it was just people around the room. Peace of Christ with you. Peace of Christ be with you. Peace of Christ be with you. And seeing that and seeing a people like that, I was like, okay, I think I can do this. I think there maybe is something. There is something that can carry me through this moment. And I, I, I knew it was distinctly the song of Yahweh. This song will uh, challenge your presuppositions. It will tear up the roots of your low-grade simmering anxiety and the things that cause it. And if that Jesus song, one, agrees with you and all the thoughts that are in your head, probably not a Jesus song. It's probably not Yahweh. It's probably just you. Um, but be rest assured, the challenge the challenging of the presuppositions that come with your life and as you hear this quiet song are good and are healing. It's hard to hear, but it's good. So, three quick things and then we're going to brunch. How do we tune into Yahweh's song? How do we do it? A couple years back, there was this phenomenon swept across the, the world, Marie Kondo. And she taught us how to tidy up our houses, get rid of some things that we didn't need, and have uh, joy, like spark joy, that sort of a thing. I'm going to teach you guys how to Marie Kondo uh, your mental spaces <laughs> real quick. Spark joy. Number one, if you're taking notes, if you've got a pen, paper, anything like that, if you're just really smart, you can just lock it in. The first thing you're going to do is take stock of your influences. What is influencing you? I, I have this notebook where I write down every day everything that I did. So I'll just make a little block. I'll write down, you know, the date, and I'll write down every single thing I did that day. Really short. It's like, feed baby, wipe butt, um, <laughs> go get coffee, go for a run, read scripture. And it's just a detailed list because I want to know what I'm being affected by. I want to keep stock of, like, why do I feel the way I feel? What's going on? Oh, and then I'm like, oh, I didn't drink water today. Oh, I didn't go for a run today. Oh, I didn't read the Bible today. I didn't pray at all. And then I can understand, all I did was listen to Tyler, the creator. It's probably why I'm a little angry. Like, those sorts of influences. So take stock of your influences, because behind those influences, there's often another voice that does not want to serve you. It's usually the voice of a spiritual being trying to pull you into uh, false worship. Don't think about that too hard, and don't be scared of that. It's not like weird. You sh really shouldn't think about it too hard, because the song of Yahweh for you this morning is much stronger and much clearer. Take stock of your influences. And then once you understand what those things are, like, take out the trash. <laughs> take out just the, the things that are, that are and, and this still takes some time. So it's not like, 
It's not that you're going to figure it out tomorrow. This is going to take some time. But once you've taken stock of your influences, it might take weeks. You might have to meet with your communities and go, this thing is influencing me. This thing is pulling me in this direction. I feel like this has a big influence on my life. And I, maybe some of those things will be good. Some of those things will be good. Some of them will be things you might need to get rid of. I'm not going to say what they are. But throw away your Harry Potter books now. Just kidding. I love Harry and the gang. Um, and the third thing is, and what I'm about to do, what I'm about to do in just a moment here, so don't worry, is, is to be quiet. Get quiet. This is the last thing. Be quiet. In times of my life where I feel deep conflict, I tend to try and talk less. Because as Proverbs will say, like where there are a lot of words, where there are a lot of words, usually sin isn't far behind. How many of you guys have ever been in an argument and you resolved it by talking a whole bunch? Like, let's see how many words, let's see how high I can get my word count right now, and this is going to get resolved real quick. Let me send this person another paragraph text, and that'll make everything better. It never works. And some of you people that like shut down in arguments are, are like, yeah, see, that's, I knew I was right. That's not necessarily a good thing either. But for an, as a general rule, where there are many words, sin is not far behind. Because of our presuppositions, because of our generational pain, because of all of the things that have influenced us are not all healthy. And so the words that just kind of naturally come out when we're not attentive to the spirit, when we're not in tune with what God is doing in our lives, it's often not good. And so when I'm in deep inner conflict or outer conflict, I try not to say a whole bunch of words and I try not to say them quickly. If I do say anything, I try to say it slowly and wait. There's a practice for this. Um, it's, it's, it's silence. It's a practice of solitude and silence. Uh, every time I've ever held the mic here at Neighbors, I'll bring up silence and solitude because it is a thing that in this culture is so contradictory to the culture and everything it's telling you to do, I think it might just save you. The scripture in Isaiah says, in quiet and in trust, your strength lies. By this, you will be saved. By silence, by quiet, and by trust, you will be saved. And so uh, there's a bunch of resources on this. If you, you should go read Ruth Haley Barton, Invitation to Solitude and Silence. Go read some John Marco. Listen to some of the teachings that we have on the podcast Please, I, I spend like 14 hours editing podcasts every week. Please listen to it, you know. It's good. It's healthy for you. You know, we got contemplate conversations, all these things. Silence and solitude is the practice and, and something that Jesus often practiced, often withdrew to lonely places to get his head on into the identity that was given him by the Father and keep on pressing forward into his calling. You got to do this. This is Jesus teaching you how to be a devoted follower of Jesus.